Oh, well, hey, I, there's a whole lot I would love to do just to kind of connect and get to know all of you. And I really don't do that well on a one-night one stand kind of a thing. Because you know? um, we're heart people. And um, we, we'd like to connect heart to heart and, and get real. And I realize that's hard to do just when you're in and out real quick. So you'll have to have me back. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Carol will join me that time. And we'll, and we'll just have a full-on Holy Ghost, come on meeting, you know. But I, I just want to commend you because of the feel in this place. And when I, when I see young people going out on these short-term missions and sharing all the treasure of their own hearts that God has put in over the years. There's just nothing like it. And uh, I learned a long time ago the very, very best way to get people turned on and motivated is short-term missions. You don't have to go to India, by the way. You can go to uh, a village or or a community 50 miles from here or 100 miles from here and give give it away to them. But when you go to like India and you're cross-cultural now and you're out of your element and it's you really need God, you're like, oh God, oh God. But there's something about that kind of desperation when you put a demand on heaven and it's His pleasure to meet you. And so uh, <clears throat> we do that in Toronto too, sending teams out all over the place. So uh, yeah, we could tell you stories about India and Africa and Indonesia and Europe and all the things that God has done all over the world, not just with Carol and I, but with many of our people and many of our young people. And when you go, you, you, you'll never be the same again. I'm, I feel like I'm in the ministry because I did two short-term mission trips uh, <clears throat> without realizing really they were mission trips. But I went to Nicaragua years ago, somewhere around 77, uh, just to hook up with a friend down there. And, and God just so got me involved and, and used me. You, you learn that he can use, as Randy says, little old you. And he uses those hands of yours to be a tremendous blessing. Because we don't realize what's on the inside of us sometimes. You know, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. And when you let him out, it's amazing what he can do. And so that whet my appetite. And then Carol and I went to Indonesia in 1980. And we'd only been married one year. And so this was a whole new experience for, for both of us, I guess, in a way. And we spent two weeks in Jakarta and then two weeks in what was then Irian Jaya is now West Papua, way up in the mountains, and, and part of the trip that we were with naked people. And it's like, this is unbelievable. This, isn't, this, is, this is not Disneyland or something. This is, <laughs> <laughs> these people are not wearing any clothes. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and yet they, they so got a hold of our hearts. It just absolutely ruined us and, and we came home in tears 
saying we can't give our lives to business anymore. I mean, this is if God if God can use us like that, then we've got to go for it. And I made the mistake of saying, Lord, we'll go anywhere. So you shouldn't let him hear you say things like that. But I said it anyway, and he said, anywhere? Anywhere. Good. I want you to go to Carol's hometown and start a church. And it was like, (sighs) So Carol's from Stratford. It is a nice little town, but it's it's not Toronto. It's just podunk, you know. It's... uh, Way too much snow and all that kind of thing. But anyway, that's where we went and practiced on those people for years and years. <laughs> and found out a few things, what to do, what not to do. And then we went to Toronto and I guess the rest is history. But we're living in amazing times, aren't we? And I want to share this message. I have a message really, really burning in my heart. Partly because I dropped it along the way. And I think it needs to be picked up and it needs to be shared all over the world. Uh, But um, let's open and read a scripture first from Matthew 22. Did you know there's going to be a wedding one day? So all of this outpouring... And all that's going on, all the missions and all the nations converting to Christ and everything, this is not just for fun and games. I mean, there, there is a purpose in all of this. And God is absolutely up to something. And uh, I think the big deal for the Christian church is to get a hold of the fact that there's going to be a wedding one day. So let's read about five verses here. Jesus had just been challenged by religious leaders and and he's telling them some prophetic events about the stone which the builders are rejecting is going to become the head of the corner. And then he goes off into this in Matthew 22. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding... And they were not willing to come. Isn't that amazing? Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, hey, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted cattle are killed. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. Tell your friend they made light of it. Just... Tell somebody, they made light of it. You know, I'm not all that interested in, I understand there's a wedding, but my priority has to go with my farm or with my business or things like that. I I want it to register that God has actually two tracks running at the same time. The first is to gather in the lost Do you know the lost are really lost? If they don't come to know Jesus, they will not spend eternity in heaven. The Bible makes it abundantly clear. I had a chat with some young people not too long ago about, uh, do you really think that hell is real? 
And, you know, I had to say to them, yes, I do. I mean, I wish, um, maybe a part of me wishes that it was a little different than that, but the Scripture makes it very clear that hell is real. And Jesus didn't come and die on the cross because it would make a great movie. It was absolutely essential that something be done about our sin or we are in deep trouble because the God who is the God of love is also a God of perfect integrity. And he cannot just sweep stuff under the carpet and look the other way because his integrity will not allow him to do that. And so he goes to the extreme of sending his own son to the earth to die in our place so that we had the opportunity of um, being born again. And, and simply by believing now, we can say yes to Jesus and our sins and our transgressions are remembered against us no more. And a change comes in our hearts that draws us now into this beautiful kingdom of love where, where, we, want to, where we want to be a partaker of that love and fit in and get healed up ourselves. So that whole first thrust of God is to, is to save the lost and then get them on a discipleship track where they are actually growing more and more and more to be like Jesus. And that's wonderful, isn't it? And it's so neat to be a part of it and, and to see these guys going and being a part of it where kids are transformed and, and little Hindu kids come to the Lord and it's, it's just the, the, the most amazing thing. And I, I want you to know that the whole world is in revival right now. You may look around you, your town and say, well, I don't see any revival. I don't, you know, it's not really here. But I tell you what, Africa is absolutely in revival. Um, I was in Ghana last November and found out two-thirds of the entire nation is born again. There's a revival there. Two-thirds. And you, you know about South Korea, I'm sure, where 50% of them in the last 100 years, uh, 50% have gone from Buddhism to Christianity. And they're, they're, a, they're a fervent brand of Christianity. They're praying and they're on fire. And so Indonesia, the same thing. If you, if you look it up, you'll see, well, they say that it's maybe 10% uh, Christian and 90% Muslim, something like that. And that's a revision from the more recent or, or, or earlier, uh, not too long ago, comment that they, the nation was about 1% Christian and 99% Muslim. And they took a survey and it so freaked them out, they did not dare publish the results of what they found. But pastors there who, who know, estimate Indonesia is now 30 to 40% born-again Christian. And you won't see that officially. But I'm telling you, God is moving all over the earth. Latin America is another whole story. I mean, Randy was telling us stories of Brazil, where he goes all the time, and it's just amazing. He said, I'll go to a church, uh, and it's a church of 2,000 people. I'll come back in two years, and there are 8,000 people. And I'll come back two years later, and there are 30,000 people. I mean, it's just unbelievable what God is doing all over the earth. You know that in China, you've probably heard this, there's, there's about 30,000 people every day coming to Jesus in China. 
And so there, we, we're at the point where about one out of six is a believer in Jesus of the world's population. And the revival is out of control. And I don't know why it isn't that way here, but I think it has something to do with the last shall be first and the first shall be last. But even that gives me hope. God is going to move here big time, and there's another wave that's about to hit. And uh, you're not going to be ready for it because we're expecting a kitty cat, and a lion is about to show up, So, just so you know. <clears throat> but that's the first track. And God wants to work with us so that not only do we get saved and our eternity is taken care of, but he's calling us into intimacy and into health and wholeness so our hearts can get right with God. Because the second track now is he wants a bride for his son. And when you think about a bride, it's not just any old girl will do, it's somebody very special, especially if they're really in love with you. How many young men here want to get married one day? How many young women want to get married one day? How many old women, old men want to get married one day? <clears throat> and and uh, see, when it's time to get married, you don't want just any old bride. Like if you, for example, if you went to Haiti and said, uh, hey, we come to help, and you found this girl says, marry me, marry me, take me out of here. You, you already know that her motive is not that she's absolutely in love with you. Her, her motive is one of desperation. Uh, and see, that's not what Jesus is looking for. I don't think. Well, the king arranged a marriage for his son. If we read it in Revelation 19, verses 7 to 9, there's a little more light on that. It says, the bride, the lamb's wife, has made herself ready. So this is not something God is going to force you to do or plead with you to do, but there's something that needs to well up within the heart of the bride where she wants herself to be ready for this. And by the way, when we talk about the bride of Christ, now we... We need to move out of sort of gender understandings and realize this is a place of privilege and intimacy and closeness and all that kind of stuff. Okay, guys, are you all right with that? Because you start talking about guys are going to be in the bride and there's like, man, just give me a mountain to climb or something. And <laughs> but don't, don't give me all this stuff. So just give the guy beside you a poke and tell him you're going to look great in a wedding dress. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit fell on us in Toronto, I will never forget the day. It was January 20, 1994, and Randy shared a testimony and then invited people, and the Holy Spirit fell on us, and we were just completely overwhelmed. We just didn't know what was going on. We had piles of people to deal with, and they were laughing and rolling and shaking and shouting and and the whole deal, and we knew it was God, but we weren't expecting a lion. And so we're trying to cope with that, and we had a commitment to go to Hungary to 
teach a healing seminar, and we just really felt from the Lord that we were supposed to keep it. Plus, they wouldn't let us off the hook. You know, they were insisting. So, okay, we're going to go. And we got prayer from our team before we went. Well, Carol fell under the power and went into about a 40-minute vision, and it was the very first time anything like that had ever happened to her. And she, saw, she was with Jesus in a meadow, and they, they played and they danced and flowers and all kinds of good stuff that happened to her. And then they came into a city, and she's like, where are we, all these buildings? And she looked down, and there were streets of gold, and she realized that, like, this is heaven, and into this gigantic banquet hall that was as far as the eye could see, tables and crystal plates piled with food and, and wine and silverware and gold. And I mean, it was just unbelievable, indescribable. All these beautiful people behind her, the, the outcasts and the broken and the hurting and the this and the that. And she's like, oh, Lord, this is so wonderful. What am I to do with this? And he told her, and said, I want you to get up and tell my people the banquet feast is almost prepared and they are to be like the five wise virgins and buy oil because the banquet feast is almost prepared. Well, it completely blew her away. I mean, she, she never had a, a vision like that before. And of course, I didn't like it. It was like, great. I'm glad you did that. Well, I realized that that vision was setting us up to become a place where people could come and buy oil. And it was the oil of the Spirit, and it was the oil of intimacy as well. And so that whole passage from Matthew 25 became alive to us. And I began reading it um, from time to time since she had that vision early in 94. So let's turn and we'll read it together. Because this is a powerful um, teaching here. The first 13 verses, okay? The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. At midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, As surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, I took that parable um, seriously because of the impact of the vision that Carol had. And I would read it from time to time and say, Lord, show me everything you're trying to say. I just want to get what you're trying to say here. 
And so I'd read it. Okay, there's, there's ten and they're virgins. And that, to me, is a type of, these are Christians. These are people who have made a commitment to Christ. They have a lamp, and that lamp is burning. And so they're, they're, their light is shining. They're active in ministry. But, you know, there, there's, there's an issue here where they're really low on oil, whatever that oil means. I'm sure it's a, it, of course, is a type of the Holy Spirit, but I think even more than that, it's an oil for intimacy. And uh, it says that as we get around to midnight, the, the bridegroom is delayed, and so they are all asleep, slumbering and sleeping. So I stopped right there. I said, Lord, I, I don't feel like I'm asleep. Because this is saying they're all asleep. I don't feel like I'm asleep. We're having the time of our life. We're in revival. I've never seen so much good fruit. Things are happening. People are getting just on fire for you. And good things are happening. And so I don't feel like I'm asleep. And just like that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, you are asleep concerning the message of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Well, I just stopped me, you know. And I realized, wow, this is true actually. I have not preached this message for maybe ten years. You know, I got burned out on that message in the 80s sometime. And uh, there was a time, you know, with Hal Lindsey and, and the soon coming of the Lord, there were kids that didn't go to college because what's the point? Jesus is coming any minute. And so uh, I just got burned out on that message and finally said, oh, w- w- come whenever you come. I'm not worrying about it. Uh, yeah, I'll just leave that and just plan on living out my life which is not a bad thing, but I think there's an expectation that we're going to hold two, uh, two things in tension. One, you're going to occupy until he comes and take the mountains and live out your lives and raise your babies and all that. Wouldn't that be great? But on the other hand, perhaps today, because the bridegroom is coming at such a time as we do not expect. Well, I got burned out on it because I think the final thing was a book written, uh, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. (laughs) How many read that book? Okay. Well, I read that book and it's, you know, it was convincing because it's tying it all to current events. Well, it didn't happen in 88, but this was the clincher for me. There was a sequel to that book. 89 reasons why it's really 89. And I'm like, oh man, I'm done. And so the Holy Spirit is pointing out, you're asleep concerning this message of the soon coming of the bridegroom. And so I wrestle with this now, Lord, help me to hold this in, in, in my heart to believe in the soon coming of the bridegroom. And in the face of this, a lot of my friends are sort of post-trib uh, believers. In other words, they think the whole church is going through the time of trouble. And so therefore, you, you're not going to expect the Lord to come because 
this hasn't happened and the other hasn't happened yet and the harvest hasn't come in yet and all those things. But I began to realize that, wait a minute, the bride is different uh, from the church in general. In other words, the on-fire church, the full-of-the-oil-of-intimacy church, is different than the lukewarm church. Because see, at the end of the day here in this parable, five got to go somewhere where the other five didn't get to go. So what group do you want to be in? How many want to go? (laughs) Okay, so... Five were wise. See, this isn't the Lord now pressuring them or anything. This is a decision they're making. I want to press in on this intimacy thing. Five got to go somewhere where the other five didn't get to go. And where did they get to go? Well, they went to the wedding. Verse 10. And the door was shut. And the others came along after. And, you know, they're like, Lord, Lord, open to us, open to us. Uh, we bought some oil now. Like, let us in. And what, what does he say to them? I don't know you. I don't know you. Now, where's our Greek guy? Is it you? Okay, yeah. <laughs> this is an interesting word in Greek because you would have expected the word gnosko, which which means to know about or to know. Uh, information to know things like that. But that's not the word here. The word is idol, which means really to see. And so what he's saying here is, well, I never saw you. We, we didn't look into each other's eyes. There was no hanging out and, and just being together. So I, I don't really have a relationship with you. Oh, I know all about you. I know who you are. I know your name and where you live but I don't know you like someone I would want to marry. And I thought, well... You see, just doing carpet time, as we used to say, or soaking in His presence, this is not a waste of time. This is not something uh, self-indulgent. This may well be the very best use of your time. Because, you see, to fall in love with the bridegroom uh, is the very thing he's looking for, but he's, he's not looking to, you know, kind of trick you into that or, or really drag you into that. He's wanting something to rise up out of your own heart that says, I just want to be with you. It's kind of like the Mary-Martha dynamic. You remember that? I can really sympathize with Martha. You know, 13 men show up and they're all hungry. Probably. And so she's in the kitchen just getting everything ready, but her sister is out there just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I'm sure she's trying to get Mary's attention, you know, like... And it's like oblivious. So she can't take it anymore. She comes running in and goes, Lord, will you speak to my sister and tell her to get out here and help me? She's left me to do the work all myself. And Jesus is looks at her it's like, Martha, Martha, you're so troubled, aren't you, about so many things like dinner and stuff. But Mary's chosen the best part and portion. 
And I'm not going to take it away from her. So I don't know how Martha felt after that. I don't know whether they got dinner or not that night. Because if, if I was her, I would have gone, fine, eat out, do something. I'm not, I'm not making it, you know. <laughs> I can sit too, you know. <laughs> but but there there is something here where he's calling people who, let's call it wisdom, that's what he calls it here. To come and be with the, with him in the place of intimacy and get to know him, know him with that eye contact, heart to heart. Oh, there's something in that. That word presence, when Moses said, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. And that word presence in Hebrew refers to faces. The word means faces. And so unless you're and your looks and your, and your glances and your looks of approval, unless that intimacy that I get from you, unless that goes with us, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to go to promised land or anything. I, I, I can't leave that. And I would just say that to you about the, the whole move of the Holy Spirit has been about a call to intimacy, first and foremost. And people often say to me, hey, you guys in Toronto, is it still going on? You're still rolling around on the floor and stuff? Say, so, yeah, well, yeah, we are, actually. Ah, well, we did that back in the day, but we've moved on now. I'm, I said to one guy, really? And just what was it you moved on to? Oh, well, we're doing this, and we're doing that, and we're reaching out, and we're helping the poor. We're a whole lot, a list of things to do. But see, you can never leave intimacy with him, and that relationship with him to go and settle for doing something else that maybe sits a little better with lukewarm people in the community. He's calling a bride who's wise enough to understand intimacy. You see, if I asked you guys, where are the guys that want a bride again one day? Hold your hand up high. Okay, so I said, listen, I got just the girl for you. She's drop-dead gorgeous. And, I mean, really a hard-working girl, smart, educated, you know, honored wherever she goes, and she's just so hard-working, and she'll work and cook and serve and do all that stuff. But there's, there's one, one little thing. She can't stand intimacy. She doesn't want you to hold her or kiss her or love her or any of that stuff. But other than that, she's fantastic. A real hard worker. Are you interested? So you see, actually we have a high value on intimacy after all, don't we? And girls, the same thing I could say to you. you know, are you interested? There's so many women today complain, all he does is work, work, work. I never get inside his heart. He, I never know, you know, what he's feeling or anything. So see, this is really important after all. And it's important, of course, to Jesus. So the bride has made herself ready. And um, it goes on to say this in Revelation 19. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
This is a privilege to be invited to this, but as we read in that passage, they, they got the invitation, but they treated it lightly. I can't go because I'm, I'm busy. And so the call really is, will you come and spend time in my presence and just be with me? Don't bring your prayer list and your shopping list and all that. Just come to be with me. See, being with him is an end in itself. I had someone say to me one day, well, well, we soak, don't we, so we can get filled up so we can go and serve. And go with I think, wait a minute, no, no, no. Being with him and soaking, that's an end in itself. And of course it will fill you up, and of course you'll be able to serve better and be more fruitful and all of that, but that's not, that cannot be the motive. The motive is to just be with him. That's an end in itself. wise and foolish virgins. How many want to be with the wise? See, they get to go somewhere, but the other guys don't get to go. I need to move quickly here, but let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 3. This is the story of the seven churches. By the way, if you... One of the keys to the book of Revelation that helped me more than anything else was an understanding about the Lord's day. And um, in chapter 1, it says that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and he saw. Now that does not mean one fine Sunday John had a vision. That means I was caught up in the Spirit and I saw the day of the Lord. And when you study the day of the Lord in Scripture, you will find that, woo, this is a heavy day. This is gloom and judgment. And there's one little glimmer, and that is where the, the righteous are, are, are taken unto himself. But see, John is describing the day of the Lord. This is judgment day. This is the coming disasters on the earth. And he saw it. And then he lists the churches here, all seven of them. You know, people have tried to figure this out with where they were in history and all of that. You know, we've got all seven of these churches in Toronto right now. We, we have the, the faithful church and the lukewarm church and all the other churches. I mean, they're all there. What are they? The, the uh, Well, I've got to get to the book of Revelation before I can find it, don't I? But um, let's go to Revelation 3. Yeah, the loveless church, the persecuted church, the compromising church, the corrupt church, the dead church, and then the faithful church, and then the lukewarm church. We got them all, haven't we? Well, just the last two, the faithful church, There's a verse there, verse 10, it says this, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast. Okay, so there's a faithful group here who is going to be delivered from the hour of trial. Isn't that good news? How many want to be with that group? Are you sure? 
Um, notice his counsel to the next one, the lukewarm church. Uh, I know your works, verse 15. You're neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, say lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's just a horrible analogy. But notice his counsel. Um, Go and buy gold. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So there's something about the fire that helps people get their priorities straight. You know, when that devastating earthquake hit Haiti, uh, everybody knows that kind of the capital of uh, voodoo and all that kind of stuff. But see, voodoo doesn't help you when, the, the, when your whole world has fallen apart. And I don't know if everybody knows this, but you can watch a clip of it on YouTube, but the president of Haiti called three days of fasting and prayer. A million people turned up. Several thousand came to Jesus. 101 voodoo priests came to Jesus. The preachers just preached and prayed like round the clock for three days. What people do in times of trouble like that is they cry out to God, help me, because i got nowhere else to turn. We got a little look at that, didn't we, in 9-11. People went to church for a month after that. But then, oh, I guess, I guess there's a tomorrow, so we'll, we'll get back to business, you know. But, but see, people do come in. And that's one of the things that when, when you're shaping your eschatology, trying to figure out how is this all going to come together, many people have said, well, the church can't leave. We're, we're, we're needed to bring in the harvest. But I, I found that that's, that's not necessarily the case. There's a scripture in Matthew 13. <clears throat> Matthew 13, 36, and some of those following verses, where Jesus said this, the harvest is at the end of the age, and the angels are the reapers. How many think angels know how to bring in a harvest? Probably. You and I may not be needed. And... Earlier on in, in Revelation, not sure if I got the verse, but uh, anyway, somewhere around chapter 7, it's John saw a number that no man could number. And he asked and said, who are these? Or he was asked, who are these? And he said, I, I don't know, only you would know. And he was told, these are, the, th- these are the people who have come out of great tribulation. They've washed their robes now, made them white. And so the harvest will come in. I've heard people say, well, you know, I, I don't want the Lord to come today because I just have too many friends that need to get saved. See, when the Lord comes for His bride, that doesn't mean the end. That means maybe the greatest harvest ever is just about to begin because there's something that helps us get our priorities straight when the sky is falling and everything else is just winding up, you know or winding down as the case may be. And so, I want to say that I think that much of the church, and I was one who's asleep about these things, and the Lord wants us to carry in our hearts a tremendous hope of, of His soon coming. Now see, we 
we talk about that in terms, but I think most of us believe in our heart of hearts that it's probably not going to happen in my day. I'm going to raise my kids, and I'm going to see them graduate, and I'm going to see them married, and, and then we'll carry on, and we'll live our lives. And yeah, one day the Lord's coming, but people have been talking that way for 2,000 years. So we need to tie it now to some current events that help us to see, no, no, no. We actually are living in the last days. And the nation Israel is probably the greatest sign. There's many, many fulfilled uh, verses that would help us, you know, but Israel is the big sign. Um, you see, what we've got there is a people that have been dispersed for 2,000 years are now back in their own ancient land, speaking their same ancient language, and practicing their same ancient religion. Not without trouble, of course. But what's the chances of that? Where are the ancient Babylonians or the ancient Egyptians or the ancient Anglicans? The chances of that happening are really, really, really slim. Everybody gets absorbed along the way. But it just so happened that it's, there's many, many dozens of prophecies that predicted that very thing. That it, in, the, in the time of the end, they will be regathered again. And if you read Ezekiel 37 about the Valley of Dry Bones, you can see that there was a prophecy that Ezekiel prophesied and called those bones to come together. And they did. And it's a picture of, of that rest, restoring of Israel and that happened in 1948. I was seven years old. Anybody else alive when 1948? Where are you? Amen. There's a word in Scripture that says the generation that sees that will not pass away till all these things have been fulfilled. Um, where, are, where am I? Luke 21. Let's go there. Is this shaking anybody up? <clears throat> Luke 21, verse 29. And, and Jesus has been giving this end-time discourse. Some of it is prophetic about the impending judgment upon the city of Jerusalem, and Rome destroyed it in 70 AD, and a lot of that was fulfilled, at least in the first part, but many of them also have a double reference here. I think it'll probably happen again. But anyway, he gets down here and he says, because uh, the, their question of the disciples is when. So he spoke to them there, verse 29, a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. They're already budding, and you see and know for yourselves that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Well, what things? He's talking about the fig tree growing. And many of us believe the fig tree is a Israel politically, and the olive is a type of Israel spiritually. And the fig tree is growing and budding, and that is a time marker for us that something is up here. Verse 32, Assuredly I say to you, this generation, which generation can't mean the people who were listening to him right there. No, the generation who sees the fig tree blossoming, that generation, will not pass away 
till all these things have been fulfilled. Notice verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And then he goes into this, take heed to yourselves, therefore, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness, or the cares of this life, and that day comes on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. There's a group who get to escape the terrible time of judgment on earth and stand before the Son of Man. I want to be in that group. Don't you? You see, I think that's the bride. That's the in love. They're the ones that are going to be yeah, at the wedding feast. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Um, this is not a heavy word. This is an exciting word. How many like weddings? You see, now judgment is coming, and I think in the past a lot of messages in eschatology have focused on sort of the great escape. Let, let, get me out of here. I don't want to go through those kind of hard times. And I, I think fair enough for that. I mean, the time of trouble that's coming in the world, Revelation talks about two wars, where a quarter of the world's population are wiped out, and then a second quarter of the world's people die. This is half the people. This is like three billion lives. I mean, that's incredible. I, I would just as soon miss that, to be honest. Let the angels do the mopping up. But uh, on the other hand, if I'm needed here for the harvest, I'm up for that because, hey, I'm 69. I, I'm martyrdom, bring it on, I guess. You know. <laughs> but, but not if it means I have to miss the wedding you know, I don't want to miss that for anything. That wedding is a very, very, very important day. We have Old Testament types about this. I think the judgment upon Sodom is great. And I love that verse, uh, Far be it from you, Lord, to destroy the righteous with the wicked. Uh, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare the city? You know the story, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10... Apparently, there's not even ten righteous. And so angels go in to bring Lot out. I think that's a type of those who love him are brought out. And uh, they miss the destruction that fell. And, and, and so there's, there's a picture there. But I want to just say again, the Lord has two tracks. Yes, redeem the lost. And they are going to be redeemed even if it's out of the midst of the fire. Many, many people. But on the other hand, there's this call for the bride who will make herself ready. Now, I want to finish with one more thought. How many want to go to the wedding, therefore? Yeah, I do too. I want to be in that group. But I want to tie it in. You know, the, the, Jesus, Jesus told us there would be signs in the heavens and signs around. And, you know, we're, we also live in a time where None of us hardly look up. You, you, 
There's so much light pollution, you can't even see the stars most nights. And so they don't mean anything to us. And we might say, hey, look, a full moon, or there's the moon or something. And that, but that's about it. But these things are amazing. And I woke up to this watching a video on uh, uh, the Star of Bethlehem. And it's incredible. This one lawyer from Texas, he got NASA's program about Starry Night, and he figured out when Jesus was conceived, the stars told it. When he was born, which was in June 2 B.C., the stars told it. The wise men rode, and they told that when the stars stopped over Bethlehem and all of that. And so it was amazing. And you can get that at, uh, I think it's called uh, Bethlehemstar.net or something. It's just an amazing thing. But he, he concluded with the fact that when he died, Passover, uh, 33 A.D., so it was April 3rd, 33 A.D., the day Jesus died. And it was a full-on eclipse of the moon that day as a sign in the heaven. And the ancient term for eclipse of the moon was a blood moon. And I didn't know that before. But it's called a blood moon because the moon is so dark, the only light on it is refracted around the Earth's atmosphere, and you can see this red, reddish hue on a very dark gray moon. And they called it a blood moon because of the reddish hue. Well, I thought, wow, that's interesting. So I'm Googling a bit about blood moons, and I ran across an article that talked about a very unusual sequence of blood moons, or full total eclipses, that's coming up in um, the year two, 2014 and 2015. Now, that's only four years away. Give your friend a poke and go, uh-oh. 2014-2015, a very unusual lunar pattern of four eclipses, four total eclipses in a row. And this is very rare. It hardly ever happens. And so as we looked at that and listened to this one teaching that Sid Roth had a guy on talking about, I found out that not only are they are there four in a row, but they are all happening on Jewish feast days. And so it's Passover, 2014, uh, Tabernacles, 2014, Passover, 2015, and Tabernacles, 2015. And those dates are April 15th, October 8th, and then in 2015, April 4, and September 28. Isn't that amazing? And so as I looked, I thought, well, I wonder if there are any other of those sequences that's very rare where you get four total eclipses in a row. You, usually you get one, and then you get a partial and a preumbrial or whatever they call it, and, and then maybe two totals in a row, and sometimes even three, but four in a row is rare. And I found out that they happened also uh, following the birth of the nation of Israel in 1949 and 1950. And then they happened again in 1967 when Jerusalem was taken to be the Jewish city. That's the only other time we've had four total eclipses in a row. And guess what days? 
those eclipses were on. Passover and tabernacles and Passover and tabernacles. In 49 and 50 and 67 and 68 as well. Now here's the thing. I'm trying to hurry here because it's 20 after 1. But um, every time we've had those four in a row, it's been a significant event for Israel and it's always been a war in the Middle East. All right? 2014 is not very far away. And I made up my mind before realizing this stuff that I didn't want to be lukewarm, you know, another single day in all of my life. I just didn't. Now, wouldn't it be something if you got on fire for God and Jesus didn't come for another hundred years? And you'd be like, darn, I could have been lukewarm all that time. No, I, I don't think you'd be sorry. I don't think you would. But see, people, people cool off and they get lukewarm for a number of reasons. Sometimes they get hurt in church. Sometimes they get disillusioned with Christians. Sometimes they got secret sin in their life and they're guilty. And so they back away. Or, or sometimes they just got careless and they went after an education or a relationship or a career or something. And they just got lukewarm. Or even cold. And I tell you what, this is absolutely no time to be lukewarm. There is a time of horror coming on the earth that we can't even imagine what that's like. But, that aside, there's a wedding in heaven one day. And you're invited, each and every one of you. And, uh, the bridegroom is longing for his bride. Isn't that wonderful? There's a man named Joel Rosenberg who's written a book called Epicenter and he's written two or three other books that are novels about Middle East political scenarios. Has anybody read any of Joel's stuff? New York Times bestsellers. I mean, but people are saying, you wrote all this stuff how are you getting this? Are you connected with the CIA or Mossad or somebody? Like, how do you get your information? He said, well, I study uh, political trends on earth, and I certainly watch what's going on in the financial markets and all that. But he said, I have a third lens. What's that, they said. He said, it's the Bible, the Word of God. That's how I get it right. And his book on Epicenter tells that story, and it's well worth the read. Joel Rosenberg, he's a Messianic Jewish believer. But he is convinced that the next big event uh, impending at any moment is the wars that Ezekiel described in Ezekiel 38 and 39, where Russia comes down from the north and Iran joins in along with Libya and they attack Israel. Now see, if you think that's fanciful and very unlikely... You need to read up on some current events. Uh, Netanyahu, the premier of Israel, was just in Washington, met with Obama, and, and it didn't go all that well. And uh, as America is distancing themselves from that situation because of Arab-Muslim pressures and stuff. 
But then he met with another group of people who had wanted him to come and, and speak at the banquet. And he, he told there, he said, you know, if the world does not stop Iran, Israel will. Because we are not going to sit back and allow another holocaust to destroy our people. And this is just a month ago that, that he said that. Because you see, the president of Iran, uh, Abhaminijab, how do you say it? Akhaminijab, something like that. Uh, he's, he's saying that we want to destroy Israel and, and just push them off the face of the earth. And he, said, and he said that in the United Nations of all places. I mean, he, he hasn't done it in a corner. He's very vocal about it. And uh, written a book uh, for all the world like Mein Kampf, which was Hitler's book. But uh, he made this statement recently that Israel is a one-bomb nation. One atomic bomb, and that would solve it forever. So... Where does that leave us? There's going to be a wedding one day. Five are wise. Five are foolish. Five say, oh, well, we got lots of time. I got my business. I got my interests. I got this and that. My family. My... And, and so it's the cares of this life that get a hold of them. And they miss the most important thing, and that is being absolutely in love with Jesus and ready for anything. I think it's possible to be so in love with Jesus, but have have no eschatology on it, and just be surprised by the whole thing. Uh, because the deal is to be on fire for God and to really be close to Him heart to heart. But yet, when you see these other things coming, by the way, don't take my word for the lunar stuff. Go on NASA's site and uh, look up lunar eclipses and find where the T's for total are all listed and verify what I'm telling you. It'll sink in all the more if you do that. But that's four years away. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is coming in four years. I don't know that. But I am saying this is an ominous sign for the nation of Israel that's coming up in four years. And I do think something has to happen where Islam is you know, brought down a peg or two and the kingdom of God can take its rightful place in all that he plans to do in Israel. But they're, they're getting ready to build a temple over there. I couldn't believe it. We were there two years ago with a tour. And uh, right there facing the Temple Mount is this huge big menorah in a glass case outside, beaten gold, one talent of gold, and it's, it's destined for that temple that they're getting ready to build. And it's almost sitting out there saying, I'm coming, you know. And you think, good night, this is in our day. See, we live in the best of times and the worst of times. Let's all stand together, shall we? Lord, I want to thank you for this wonderful church of a place that honors the Father's love and honors the people here. But I just want to ask you the question, are you lukewarm in your heart for some reason? If so, what has, 
What has hurt you? What has brought you to that, to that place where, you, where you've gotten disillusioned or you've gotten turned off or careless or whatever? Listen to me. As a father in the kingdom, this is no time to be lukewarm. Do whatever you have to do. Get reconciled with whoever it is. But tell Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm coming home. Father, I pray that you'll come and search my heart. How do we tell if we're on fire or not? Well, really our prayer time tells the story. Our worship tells the story. Our our tears tell the story. But we just want to be in that place, Lord, where these where these absolute events are coming along now to connect us heart to heart to the fact that we are indeed in the end times. John wrote it in 1 John 2. Little children, this is the last time. If it was the last time in John's day, we're in the last uh, hour of the last minute of the last seconds. And it's no time to be lukewarm. Lord Jesus, we want to be Your loving bride. With all of our heart we do. We don't want to miss that wedding for anything in all the world. Now if you feel like you've been uh, lukewarm a little bit, why don't you just come on and gather around the front with me. Let's just tell the Lord, hey, we're going to change some things. Don't be embarrassed about it. Say, what will people think? Oh, I don't want people to know that. Yeah, forget that. The one who really matters, he already knows. And he's inviting you to come on. See, because it's the difference between being wise and being foolish. It's the bride who's saying, I want to make myself ready. There are some heavy things that are about to go down. And Lord, we just want to gather here and get right with you. Father, I pray that your divine romance over the heart of everyone that's come up. Lord, there's a scripture that says our hearts are deceitful. And they are because we, we can easily get our priorities wrong. And we start living self-centered lives instead of Christ-centered lives. But Lord Jesus, I really do love you. I really do want you in my heart of hearts. I pray that you lift guilt, shame, fear, pain, hurt, rejection, all that off of us. And fill us with your joy. Now just lift up your face to Him. And look into His eyes, so to speak. And say, Lord, I want You to see me. I want this to be something that happens often. I'm going to find out what that word Ido means. Where we're looking into one another's eyes. As only those in love can do. And say, I really love You, Jesus. Teach my heart obedience Teach me your ways. Teach me to be on fire for you and then help me share it 
It's the best news. I want to tell the whole world. I want to go to India and Africa and everywhere else and tell them. But, ah, uh, I'm choosing intimacy with you. In Jesus' name, Pastor. Thank you, Lord. I think there's an impartation for bridal love in this room today. That's a new thing for many of us. We've, I think many of us have understood the, the love as a son or a daughter, and many of us have understood friendship love. But not, not, not many people really understand bridal love. And I believe there really is the presence of the Lord here to release that to us, that we would love the Lord like that. That's a higher level of love. And so, Father, we're asking you to really, I believe that impartation is here for us to receive a bridal love, to really partake in that level of love relationship with you. And I ask you to just release that. So let's just pray this prayer. You can pray it out loud if you'd like. Father, I confess to you the lukewarmness that has come into my soul and caused my heart to grow dull. And I'm confessing it. I'm acknowledging it. I take responsibility for it. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse my heart today and cause your fire to come into my heart. And Father, if there's things in me such as unforgiveness, bitterness, or unconfessed sin, even wounds, I pray you'd reveal them to me. And I'm committed to obeying you. I'm committed to getting things right in my life. I'm committed to allow you to heal me and make me whole so I can really come after you. I'm making a decision today where it says the bride has made herself ready. I hear that call, and I'm responding to that call. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you come and enable me. Give me that grace to make myself ready, to look into your eyes and know you on that level. I just received that, Lord. I, I thank you for that, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I bless you, Lord. You're a, you're a good God. Oh, Lord, just thank you, Lord. Just release that on all of us. Every one of us in this room, just release that on us now, Lord. Just release that, Lord. Let us know that, that love, Lord. Lord, let us just get back to you, that communion with you and that fellowship with you and looking into your face, Lord. Lord, I pray you'd release that. Release that we would see into the eyes of Christ. We would see your eyes of love. You would just strike us with your eyes of love, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Just bless, Lord. 
Just let every person in this room feel your love right now. Every person feel your encouragement. Oh, we just worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Andy, won't you sing a little song or something? Andy's going to just, as, as we just receive in the Lord right here, Andy's going to just lead us in a song.